Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 170 of 22. So I have here a, um article, again, from Church Militant. It's by Richard A. Spin, uh, Spinello, Church Militant, October 7th, 2020. The article is titled, Taste for Death. Uh, Again, it's a campaign 2020 commentary. Joe Biden and uh, Evangelium Vitae. I know my Latin's not great, but this is uh, an interesting article about abortion. Again, I've done a couple of articles this last uh, few episodes on the subject matter of abortion. I was going to do something on America Magazine's uh, uh, Catholic case for um, communism, but I felt I needed more material because uh, the subject matter, I think the way ca- uh, America Magazine presents it is kind of confusing. So we need to, uh, I need to be a little bit more cautious in presenting why Catholicism and communism is not compatible, but we're going to focus on this one here. So before we begin, please subscribe and share to my podcast. It will be a great help. And uh, let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blesses the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Holy Queen of the Rosary, please pray for us. St. Joseph, guardian of the church and terror of demons, pray for us. St. Thomas More, pray for us. And St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. St. Augustine, pray for us. And St. Michael, the archangel, defend us from evil. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so um, let's begin this article here. In the recent interview with Crux, Archbishop uh, Vinsano Paglia presented, uh, I'm sorry, president of the Pontifical Academy for Life, declared that it would be harmful if some topics of biotechs is extracted from its general context and used as a political weapon. Catholics must embrace a broad perspective on global biotechs that engages all the major topics that touch on life, he suggested. In other words, it would be wrong to isolate one issue, such as abortion, as a preeminent for determining the suitability of political candidates. Paglia's conviction uh, convictions echo the seamless garment. Interesting. Thesis once championed in the not the not just the nineties. It says here the nineties, but actually it was it was uh, through the seventies, eighties, and nineties by Chicago Cardinal Joseph Bernadine. That notion has been revived since Pope Francis' election to the papacy, and many liberal prelates like Bishop Robert McElroy of Santiago, San Diego proclaims its merits. Some Catholics have seized on this theme to justify a vote for Joe Biden in the 2020 election, despite 
his pro-abortion politics. Adding to confusion is Pope Francis himself, who sometimes links the abortion issue with other social justice concerns. In a speech delivered last month, he conflated ecological and pro-life issues because of their common root. The same indifference, the same selfishness, the same greed, the same pride, the same claim to be the master and despot of the world leads human beings on the one hand to destroy species and plunder natural resources and on the other to no longer respect the right to human life from conception to its natural end. But a far different perspective is presented in John Paul II's encyclical Evangelium Vitae, which introduces the phrase culture of death to describe a subculture that is quite willing to endorse abortion and euthanasia. As legal philosopher and scholar John Finnis has pointed out that that the Pope's strong language refers to a systematic and sh- and shame, uh, shameless willingness to treat some human beings as non-persons and to choose an intent to kill these human beings and to legally protect and publicly promote those choices. In the case of abortion, some individuals deliberately choose to bring about the death of a human being within the womb, while many others ensure that these actions can be carried out with impunity. The the results of such systematically programmed threats is a conspiracy against life. That conspiracy is grounded in an immoral impulse fundamental to the abortion culture to endow some individuals with absolute power over others and against others. Those who share in this perverse culture including politicians who craft and ratify liberal taxpayer and funded abortion laws must bear some responsibility for its disastrous results. Uh, The next paragraph is titled moral urgency prioritizes abortion. This systematic willingness to choose and intend the death of powerless victims that constitutes the culture of death makes the pro-life question unique among the full spectrum of ethical issues referred to by Bishop Archbishop Paglia. All right, this is a tweet here. I'm going to quote: "The abortion issue is not being weaponized, but prop, uh, properly prioritized because because of its moral urgency. Some individuals may have deficient ecological values or an." illiberal immigration policy, but they do not intend anyone's death, nor do they lend moral and legal support to a subculture that does so. They do not condone or rationalize direct acts of violence against another human being. Contrary to Paglia's veiled support of the seamless garment philosophy, it is valid to isolate the anti-abortion issue and give it the silence it deserves because in this case, the person is reduced to an object that can be conveniently disposed of. The abortion 
issue is not being weaponized, but properly prioritized because of its moral urgency. Joe Biden unequivocally supports taxpayer-funded abortion right up to the moment of birth. The Biden ticket wants no restrictions placed on abortion, even for those taking place in the last trimester. Defenders of Mr. Biden hasten to point out that very few uh, abortions occur in the late stages of pregnancy. But, as a National Review article indicates, the the Goodmarker Institute estimates that 1.3% of abortions occur after 21 weeks. The threshold for premature infant survival outside the womb with medical care. And since there are currently about 926,000 abortions per year in the United States, the 1.3% rate translate into 12,000 abortions after the pre preborn child is viable. Moreover, most of these abortions are elective. Even those who are erroneously content that the preborn preborn child is not a human being in the early stages of development despite its unique human genome and active potency to know the truth and to make free choices most acknowledge that every year 12,000 babies are intentionally executed in the gruesome procedure there are currently about 926,000 abortions per year in the United States It's it's a tweet taken from the paragraph through his zealous support for unrestricted unrestricted taxpayer funded abortion joe biden directly participates in the dark culture of death geographically described by john paul ii those who have questioned the authenticity of joe biden's catholicism have some uh, have come under withering criticism. Perhaps some of that criticism is warranted, but anyone who eagerly provides material support to the abortion culture is in a state of rebellion from the Catholic faith and its gospel of life, which is at the heart of Jesus' message. In addition, this systematic violation of the moral law protecting innocent human life generates a progressive darkening of the capacity to discern God's living and saving presence. Critical distinctions. It is also essential to differentiate the root of that culture from the fundamental causes of environmental degradation or economic injustice. Genesis explains that God gave human beings dominion over creation. Chapter 1, verse 26. Since nature must be subdued to satisfy our basic needs. The problem is that some people are prone to careless excess. But the root of the cause of the culture of death is far more insidious since it comes from a a certain Promethean attitude which leads people to think that they can control life and death by taking the decisions about them into their own hands. While God has given us dominion over nature, he has not given us dominion over other people so that they become 
subjugated even to the point that we decide whether they live or die. The human person is God's possession, while abusing our natural resources is morally reprehensible. It is far more a sinister offense to claim another's life as one's exclusive property. Mr. Biden's position on the on the other social justice issues are tainted by the turbulent darkness of abortion, abortion's shadow, because an explicit attack on the right to life represents a direct threat to the entire culture of human rights. This is the central message of Evangelium Vitae, a moral treatise that brightly illuminates the way out of this deep recesses of the abortion culture and its insipid nihilism. This, is, this was a very good article. Dr. Richard A. Spanillo, a professor of management practice at Boston College and a member of the adjacent faculty of St. John's Seminary in Boston. He is the author of the encyclicals of John Paul II, an introduction and commentary and the Splendor of Marriage, St. John Paul's II's Vision of Love, Marriage, Family, and the Culture of Life, along with numerous other books and articles on ethical theory and applied ethics. This, is, this was a very good article. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I think this was really, really uh, beautiful, the way, um, the way he, he laid it out. I know I I actually enjoyed reading this article very much. Um you know, it's it, it's it's sad, but it's true. On the one hand, um we have orthodox Catholics who want to follow God's dictate and the church's teachings on pro-life. Yet on the other hand, you have um these other group of people who seem to um, have a very broad, which is a very liberal uh, brushstroke on moral theology and ethics and um, on justice, social justice especially. Um, unfortunately, that has been uh, actually weaponized by a more... Uh, democratic socialist approach. Uh, in a sense, it actually it has been the hiding place of a very elitist class of people because they, you know, those who have much more, in a sense, they accused one side of being selfish when the when on their side they accused the Orthodox Catholic of being selfish. And they, and then on the other side themselves, they're hiding their selfishness and their superiority and their intellect be, uh, under under the guise misguided a mask of charity and the idea of uh, the seamless garment, which is social justice, which is exactly what the seamless garment is. It's social justice, you know, to fight poverty. Poverty is an, is is an important thing. Jobs is an important thing. Um, uh, racism is an important thing. You know, we have to fight racism. We have to fight poverty. We have to fight, um, um, what do you call it? Misogyny. 
We have to fight, uh, you know, bigotry against homosexuals. We have to fight for the right of uh, illegal immigrants. We have to fight for illegal immigrants. And we have to, um, they, they say they have to fight for poverty, right? But then on their side, the track record shows like places like Boston, Maryland and uh, other cities, they have the highest rate of, dis, you know, poverty, neighborhoods that are, you know, just poverty stricken, drug stricken, uh, crime stricken. And, you know, then on one hand, those who are in charge are their biggest golden cow is abortion. And the abortion issue on their side, right? If you look carefully, where are the largest abortion clinics? They happen to be in poor Hispanic and black neighborhoods, minority neighborhoods. So you have to ask yourself the question, if they're so concerned about overpopulation and fighting racism, then why, and you have this neighborhood that's completely poverty stricken, which has been for 20 to 30 years of poverty stricken, why haven't they made improvements? in these people's lives. It, it seems like they have, you know, they've done zilch. And, and it's interesting. Um, there was a, I just watched the movie by Dinesh D'Souza, the Trump card. There's a, a conservative gay activist. He actually goes from city to city, town to town, dangerous neighborhoods with his, with his organization and cleans up the neighborhoods gets rid of the garbage and the, the trash and everything. And Dinesh D'Souza asked him a question. You are, you, you, you're, you're a conservative and you're a gay man. Shouldn't you be on their side? And he said, no, because they don't care to solve the problem. They don't believe in solving the problem. The problem to, is not useful if it's gone. The problem is useful as long as as long as it stays. And you know, I'm I'm paraphrasing his words, of course, but he's right. Because they haven't really solved the problem. If they solve the problem, there's no more argument on their side. Right? That's basically it. I mean, it, in other words, kick the can down the road. Barack Obama had a, had an opportunity to solve the the dream the dreamers right about the kids who came here with illegal parents not on not their fault but because their parents wanted to come here and understandable they wanted a better life but the issue for them he didn't solve it he could have solved it during his presidency which was the right thing for him to do and he didn't Instead, he wound up kicking the can down the road because the Democrats wanted him to so that the, the problem can be under Hillary's campaign. And she didn't get elected. Now, now President Trump wants to solve, solve the Dreamers Act and the Democrats are screaming bloody murder. Because they you they solve problem that their issue is exploit the issue exploit the poverty exploit the racism exploit the 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 misogyny and all these things exploit them don't solve the problem 
exploit them and always always bid you know you use them to your your own means it's the majority of them are power driven this which is why i don't believe joe biden is entirely a socialist or communist i don't think he believes in it because his biden family has made offshore money it's been proven you know he himself doesn't have to do it but he has a brother he has a son. He has other family members. They can do it behind the curtain, so to speak, behind the curtain, and they can make money. That's how they did it. He himself can re can re can can remain publicly clean on the record, and no one has to see him. You know, putting any money away. Meanwhile, the Obamas and the Bidens both have houses, unbelievable mansions. By the seashore, which they kept on claiming in their campaign is being eroded because of climate change. There you go. I mean, that's this is this is how it's done. Joe Biden is not he he's your typical Democrat. Yes, there are guilty Republicans too. They have their they have their guilt as well. Unfortunately, you know, we're not going to be able to get rid of all the greed. But the point is we have to at least expose the lies that we must expose. All right, let's check something else out. So I'm going to play for you a uh, church militant news report. Biden hurts God. We're in a battle for the soul of the nation. Joe Biden is advertising his so-called faithfulness again. In a campaign video released on Sunday, the Democrat presidential hopeful reflected on his visit to the Vatican. I just walked out the side door of St. Peter's Basilica after a meeting and getting an opportunity to shake hands and have a brief conversation with Pope Francis. Noting what he thinks it means to be a Catholic. We are a brother's keeper. We have an obligation. I think that's the way, the only way, we're going to make the world better and safer. The ad was in response to President Trump painting Biden as anti-God on numerous occasions. No religion, no anything. Hurt the Bible, hurt God. Biden claims to be a Catholic, but his views on abortion and gay marriage, among other issues, say otherwise. I support a woman's right to choose. I support it's a constitutional right. I've supported it. I will continue to support it. Crazy online hate sites. Homosexual apologist Father James Martin defended the notion in a tweet, quote, Mr. Biden is a baptized Catholic. Thus, he is a Catholic. The tweet was in response to Providence, Rhode Island Bishop Thomas Tobin's comments on the Democrat frontrunner and his vice presidential pick, Kamala Harris. Quote, Biden-Harris, first time in a while that the Democratic ticket hasn't had a Catholic on it. Sad. Harris is a concern to faithful Catholics, because not only has she demonstrated an antipathy towards Catholicism, as when she grilled federal judge nominee Brian Busher regarding his membership in the Knights of Columbus, saying, quote, since 1993, you have been a member of the Knights of Columbus, an all-male society. And were you aware the Knights of Columbus opposed a woman's right to choose when you joined the organization? but also in regard to her failure to prosecute clerical sex abuse as San Francisco's district attorney. Ignoring Joey Piscitelli and others after her election in 2004 when he brought his case forward. She shielded and protected them and we were just, we were floored at what happened. 
Biden typically mentions that he finds solace in attending church, how it helps him overcome the grief of losing his wife, daughter, and son. But when he receives communion while unashamedly supporting abortion, a mortal sin according to Canon 1398, quote, a person who procures a completed abortion incurs an automatic excommunication, making Trump's accusation that Biden policies hurt God an undeniable fact. As president, protecting religious freedom is one of my highest priorities. Joseph Enders, Church Militant, Detroit. All right, that was uh, Church Militant there. And uh, that was very interesting because here on one fact, she herself did attack that uh, candidate for the uh, a, a court for a position, the court uh, judge seat position, because he was a member of the Knights of Columbus, which were pro-life, a men's organization um, that are pro-life. And here, uh, Joe Biden claims to be a devout Catholic and finds comfort in religion and... Uh, and, um, you know, he claims he carries a rosary in his pocket. And then he also receives Holy Communion when he's not supposed to because of the very fact that he himself uh, supports abortion and violates Canon 913, where because he supports abortion and helps others to uh, get an abortion, that makes him an accomplice and guilty. He's supposed to be excommunicated. And you've heard one bishop. This is this is the problem here. One side has a very broad, vague stroke, which they want to keep, which is a political advantage to them. And the other side, which is conservative side, is basically wants to protect the faith and how the faith is protect uh, practiced. And they're vilified. It's, it's basically the same thing as the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very, very literal interpreters. And of course, they were basically a lot of their interpretation is man's interpretation. And the Sadducees were very, what they, they try to uh, grab a very conservative interpretation. Like they would um, only stick to the, the law of Moses, but then they would rather reject the prophets. They don't... Uh, they don't, you know, they don't really focus too much on the prophets. They're the ones that were in control of the temple, which is Caiaphas and Annas. And so, in a sense, they were more liberal, and they were the ones who had more relationship with the Romans, uh, basically, you know, they, because they were close relationship with them. So, therefore, they were very careful on messianic prophecy, basically, which is why they they pushed to have Jesus put on trial. In a sense, it was a very interesting approach because, you know, they didn't believe in a resurrection. That's another thing. The Sadducees who were in control of the temple did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, nor did they believe in the judgment day, while the Pharisees did believe in the res res resurrection of the dead. So you see what I'm saying? There's like a, a very, uh, there's a liberal conservative, but you have to navigate through who it is. So, you know, fighting for poverty, yes, that we can agree with. Uh, fighting against injustice, that we can agree with. Uh, fighting against racism, that we can agree with. Uh, but we say that abortion is is basically important because it's child sacrifice. The other side said, well, 
it shouldn't be the only single issue. You see what I'm saying? You see how they they sort of like sort of smokescreen it or you know underneath. They don't want it to be the the biggest issue. They want the advantage. They say it's you know it's a woman's right to choose. Um, you know it's a it's a constitutional right. How that got to be. It's amazing. But this is the problem with Catholicism in America, unfortunately. And there's, you know, and unfortunately the bishops are, they don't, they, they're very scared of choosing a side. They're very scared. They've, you know, you, they have a very close relationship with the Democrats and they have been polluted. Let's see another article here. All right. Now, I pulled out a, um, an article. It's by Brad Eli, Church Militants. It's dated October 17, 2017. I know it's quite a while back, but still, it would, it would help us with the subject matter of the seamless garment. Now, it's seamless garment theory blurs moral lines. John Paul II, voluntarily killing of an innocent human being is always gravely immoral. All right, let's read the article here. The, the consistent ethic of life commonly called the seamless garment theory equates intrinsic evils such as abortion with social justice issues of, of poverty, hunger, joblessness, and the like, and has been blurring Catholic moral teachings for the past 50 years, uh, more, a century. The seamless garment was a term coined by a Catholic ethics in 1971, to equate the intrinsic evil abortion with capital punishment. Catholic teaching bans abortion, but allows cap capital punishment in certain situations. The seamless garment was later acquitted with the term consistent ethic of life by the late Cardinal Joseph Bernadine of Chicago in talks given at two universities in 1983 and in 1984. Uh, Bernadine um, also has uh, a very tainted history uh, associated with homosexuality uh, and pedophilia. And also there's something that he was a Satanist. At the first talk, the Cardinal added to the list of eugenics, nuclear war and euthanasia. At the second talk, he opened the list up to poverty and other social justice issues. By the mid-1990s, the U.S. bishops drafted a Catholic voting guidelines that expanded the consistent ethics of life to protect human life and promote human dignity. This emphasized poverty, violence, and injustice. The bishops added in racism, em employment, education, housing, health care, their voters' guide in 2015 lumps together intrinsic evils like abortion and euthanasia and redefining marriage with poverty and racism. The U.S. bishops now speak out more on social justice issues of immigration, climate change, and capital punishment uh, than on such intrinsic evils as abortion, euthanasia, or same-sex marriage. In 2015, Cardinal Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago, shocked many by equating the evil of the abortion industry's sale of baby parts to broken immigration system and joblessness as 
revolting as trafficking in the body parts of aborted children is however uh, is however the cardinal said this is his quote we should be no less appalled by the indifference towards the house the thousands of people who die daily for lack of decent medical care who are denied rights by a broken immigration system and by racism who suffer in hunger joblessness and want who pay the price of violence in gun-saturated neighborhoods or who are executed by the state in the same in the name of justice <laughs> you see here you see how it all got lost the issue of abortion got buried underneath all that and he got away with it it's a very it's a very political tactic throw everything else else out and he looks he he hopes he comes out looking like an angel you know you know for some for some it can work but not for conservative catholics a few catholic would be up as appalled at joblessness as they would they would at the butchering and sale of innocent babies the fifth commandment in the original hebrew moreover doesn't merely say thou shalt not kill but rather thou shalt not murder this connotes the taking of a human life and innocent human life at that in his encyclical uh in vingilium vitae which we read about it in the first article pope saint john paul ii spoke of the intrinsic evil of abortion and the taking of innocent human life while allowing the death penalty and just war theory in certain circumstances the holy father stated i confirm that the direct and voluntary killing of an innocent human being is always gravely immoral he went on to say in the case of intrinsically unjust laws such as a law permitting abortion or, or euthanasia it is therefore never licit to obey to obey it or to take part in a propaganda campaign in favor of such a law or vote for it you see there now that that is consistent that is consistent this is how catholic think, thinking has to be consistent all right i'm going to play a clip for you here the seamless garment theory was basically came on the scene with Eileen Egan in 1971. She was a Catholic ethicist, and she wanted capital punishment to be put on the same footing of, of, of abortion. Abortion is an intrinsic evil. You can never do it. Uh, capital punishment, uh, depending on the situation, the church says it's possibly to be allowed. Uh, 83, Cardinal Joseph Bernadine, late uh, Archbishop of Chicago, basically gave a talk to uh, Fordham University, Jesuit University, and he used the phrase consistent ethic of life and basically he expanded abortion and euthanasia the same ideas that Egan talked about he expanded that to nuclear war and uh, eugenics um, along with abortion capital punishment a few months later 1984 at the Catholic University of uh, or I don't know if it's Catholic it's the University of St. Louis St. Louis University just a few months later Cardinal Bernadine then adopted the seamless garment by name in his talk at that university. At that time, then, the door was open to already have done away with intrinsic evils, throw in social justice, everything is all the same. He starts talking not just respect for life, but also human dignity is on the same playing field. So now abortion and poverty and unemployment and housing and all this, well, this is what happened in the 90s. The bishops in the 90s then, with their... Um, faithful citizenship and voting and all this did the same thing and they adopted not the seamless garment which is kind of a colloquial now 
but it's uh, consistent ethic of life. And they basically said, in you know, environmental activism, take care of the environment, abortion, um, and all of these are on the same, you know, social justice issues along with intrinsic evil. So fast forwarding now to 2015, Cardinal Joseph, uh, Cardinal Blaise Supich, uh, protege and a uh, uh, successor of Bernadine, he's the Archbishop of Chicago, came out with this stunning quote uh, after Daleiden uh, came out with the undercover videos about selling the baby parts. He came out with his, his quote here that said, well, yeah, selling the baby parts is wrong, but we should be no less appalled, and that's the problem, by the indifference toward the thousands of people who die daily for lack of decent medical care, who are denied rights by a broken immigration system, and by racism, who suffer in hunger, joblessness, and want. Well, uh, some bishops took exception to that, but very few. All right. That was uh, pretty much almost the same thing what I read to you. All right, this is going to be a special report on uh, Cardinal, the late Cardinal Joseph Bernadine. This is from June 26, 2019. I'm going to play it for you. Uh, I was going to read it, but it's actually uh, an actual, no, it's what you're going to hear. So I, I felt there was no point to it, so might as well play, play the report. All right, so here we go. An in-depth church militant investigation has turned up a career-long track record of accusations against former Chicago Cardinal Joseph Bernadine that not only was he a homo predator his entire career, but that at various stops in his career, many of those sexual assaults were tied to satanic rituals. Current Cardinal Blaise Supich has reported none of this to the Illinois Attorney General deliberately covering up at least one serious allegation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Church Militant Special Report. Following up on our last investigation into Cardinal Joseph Bernadine and the Chicago Archdiocese's history of covering up his sordid past. Bernadine's entire public career was one of warm relationships with promoters of homosexuality. In fact, beyond his career and even his life, he explicitly requested the Chicago Gay Men's Chorus to sing at his wake. Bernadine was ordained in April of 1952 by his bishop in Charleston, South Carolina, John J. Russell. In the case of the 1957 rape of the minor in South Carolina we previously reported, the victim identified not only then Father Bernadine, but also Bishop Russell, and that the assault was part of a satanic ritual. Church Militant was handed all of these secret files from the vaults of the Chicago Archdiocese by whistleblowers there. In this June 1993 letter to the U.S. Nuncio at the time, Archbishop Augustino Cacciavillan, the victim expressly states, quote, I was raped by then Father Bernadine as part of a satanic ritual. He accompanied Bishop Russell, who was the celebrant. A few lines later, the victim says, quote, Bishop Russell had been the patron of Father Bernadine, and I hesitate to think how many Bernadine has advanced in the church and in his brotherhood, closed quote. Cachavillan did nothing about the charges against Bernadine, which was a pattern for him. Around the exact same time frame, when confronted with direct evidence of homosexual rapist Bishop Daniel Ryan of Springfield, Illinois, Cachavillan, Cardinal Francis George, Bishop Joseph Imish, and Bishop George Lucas 
refused to conduct any investigation into their notorious brother bishop. Ryan eventually had to step down in disgrace once the truth came out, the truth that Cachavallon had unsuccessfully tried to cover up. Cachavallon was one of the Vatican's men who defended Boston Cardinal Bernard Law as the homo predator sex abuse clergy story was breaking on the front pages of the Boston Globe a few years later. Bernadine was a fatherless boy and teenager, his father having died of cancer when Bernadine was just six. He was a retiring, quiet, unathletic, studious youth. He developed a great interest in biology, enrolling at the University of South Carolina as a pre-med major, telling family and friends how much he wanted to be a doctor. Then, all of a sudden, for no clear reason, he announced his desire to become a priest, which came as a shock to his family, who told the Chicago Tribune in 1996, quote, then in his third semester, right out of the blue, Joe told us he was leaving college because he wanted to become a priest, his sister said. I remember we were all walking up the stairs and my mother and I had to sit down and think that one over, closed quote. Russell ordained Bernadine in 1952, just three months after another priest arrived in the Diocese of Charleston from the Mary Knoll missionaries in New York. Father Frederick Hopwood was trained in upstate New York for six years to be a Mary Knoll priest, but again, seemingly out of the blue, up and mysteriously abandoned his community just six months after ordination. For no apparent reason, he simply left the missionaries and asked Bishop Russell to be incarnated as a priest in the Diocese of Charleston. Extensive research fails to turn up any links between the New Jersey native, New York trained priest, and South Carolina. But what is known is that almost immediately after arriving, Hopwood and Bernadine quickly became close associates, and each was promoted by Russell in short order, Bernadine being named Chancellor at the same time Hopwood was named Assistant Chancellor. The two shared residence together at the Cathedral Rectory for the next number of years, from 1954 until 1966, when Bernadine left for Atlanta and became auxiliary bishop there. Roughly 40 years later, in 1994, Hopwood was eventually busted and convicted for sex abuse involving hundreds of teenage males. Many of these sexual assaults occurred in the same years he was housemates with Bernadine at the Cathedral Rectory, where a number of the alleged assaults happened. In resulting lawsuits against the Diocese of Charleston, Bernadine's name, quote, came up a large number of times, closed quote, according to one of Hopwood's victims. One victim told Roman Catholic faithful that he had been sodomized by both Hopwood and another priest, but couldn't identify the priest because he had been blindfolded. The victim also said in the filings that, quote, Hopwood had presided over satanic rituals involving animals in the woods where some of his victims were abused, closed quote. But Hopwood wasn't the only close associate of Bernadine busted for sexual assault of teenage males. In the mid-1990s, the exact same time the original alleged rape victim from 1957 was writing to the Vatican, the Nuncio, the Archdiocese of Chicago, and even Pope John Paul, pleading for a hearing, a string of charges and arrests were being made of Bernadine's closest associates from his days in Charleston. One after another... Bernadine's buddy priests were being arrested and prosecuted for sexual assaults of combined hundreds of teenage males, 
a large number of assaults having happened right at the very time Bernadine was Chancellor of Charleston. Among the notables, Father Paul Seitz, Father Eugene Condon, and Father Justin Goodwin, with some of them also having lived with Bernadine in the Cathedral Rectory of St. John the Baptist in Charleston, where some of the homosexual satanic abuse, again, was alleged to have happened. But most notable is the case, again, of Monsignor Frederick Hopwood, the priest accused in lawsuits of homosexual assault as part of satanic rituals as a close friend of Bernadine. When criminal and civil charges were filed against Hopwood in the early 1990s, Bernadine, who by this time had ascended to the role of archbishop in Chicago, made the unprecedented move of immediately dispatching the Chicago Archdiocesan Law Firm to Hopwood's defense in South Carolina, the costly and prestigious firm Meyer, Platt, and Brown, now known as Meyer Brown. The Chicago faithful were never told that Bernadine was using their funds to pay for the high-powered defense of his close associate, accused of multiple satanic-inspired homosexual assaults. Did Bernadine want something not coming out? It's worth underscoring at this point that these charges against former priest friends of Bernadine, which caused him to dispatch his lawyers to clean things up, were hitting the Archdiocese of Chicago at the exact same time the original charges of satanic ritualized rape against Bernadine himself were coming into the Chicago Chancery. However, there was still much more to come. Just as Bernadine was fighting a two-front war with charges against himself, as well as his buddies, as the lawsuits described them, yet another round of charges of the precise same nature came pouring into Chicago from former seminarians in the diocese of Winona, Minnesota. These seminarians charged that while he was Archbishop of Cincinnati, Bernadine and some other clerics, including bishop friends of his, would travel to Winona's Immaculate Heart Seminary and engage in homosexual acts with them involving satanic rituals. None of these cases, the original 1957 rape allegation against Bernadine when he was a priest in Charleston, the suggestion he was intimately tied to more sodomistic satanic assaults by his buddy priests, and the fresh charges of seminarians being sodomized by him and other clerics, again tied to satanic rituals, none of the plaintiffs in any of these cases knew each other or, before the days of social media, had any real way of knowing of each other's stories. Likewise, as Church Milton broke earlier this week, the string of allegations against Bernadine being a homo predator continues to lengthen with the serious allegation from James Grine that Bernadine abused him in 1977. Cardinal Bernadine sexually abused me at Lake Geneva in Wisconsin, right outside of Chicago. McCarrick was there also, and it was a harrowing experience for me. While Bernadine was Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago, he launched the nation's first diocesan gay office, AGLO, Archdiocesan Gay Lesbian Outreach, an office still in existence to this very day. He appointed a notoriously active gay priest to the pastorship of Resurrection Parish on Chicago's northwest side, a parish Bernadine himself designated as gay. That pastor, Father Daniel Montalbano, was found dead in his rectory hooked up to a sex machine surrounded by hundreds of videos and magazines of gay porn. Again, Bernadine insisted the city's gay men's course sing at his wake. During his career, he promoted and protected known homosexual bishops, 
such as when he refused to get involved in the Bishop Daniel Ryan homo predator case, as can be seen in this letter to Roman Catholic faithful's Stephen Brady, who had the goods on Ryan, and Bernadine knew it. But he told Brady, quote, he does not feel it would be appropriate to become involved. As documents begin to surface from deep within the Archdiocese's secret files, it appears he was not just a homo predator throughout his career, but also involved in satanic practices, all of which the Archdiocese has covered up, as well as today's Archbishop, Cardinal Blaise Supich. Our next investigation will look deeply into the cases of the seminarians' claims against Bernadine, as well as other clerics they accused of assaulting them, some of whom are still alive. As the alleged 1957 rape victim wrote to the U.S. Nuncio, quote, I hesitate to think how many Bernadine has advanced in the church and in his brotherhood, closed quote. Reporting for Church Militant, this is Michael Voris. God love you. Well, and that's the man who promoted the seamless garment. And I truly believe that the seamless garment was created as a smokescreen. A smokescreen mainly to help evil, bad people to hide out in the open by using social justice. And it's mainly, you don't see the seamless garment in the ranks or, let's say, being used by conservatives. I think it's used to shame conservative Catholic, Orthodox Catholics, not to, you know, to, to stand out as bigots, you know, just to focus on abortion as the only preeminent issue, as the only important topic. There are other things we have to focus on, such as, you know, homelessness, joblessness, uh, you know, uh, immigration, helping people who are, who are illegal immigrant, undocumented people who are, who are living on the fringes of society, you know, things like this. We have to focus on the environment, clean water, clean air, you know, climate change, things like this that are very, very trendy among the left, you know, issues that, that basically, um, you know, definitely build a following because people who, let's say, who are gay, who are uh, lesbian, uh, people who are, uh, you know, who constantly uh, got remarried several times, it makes them, it, it gives them a home and, a, and it makes them feel virtuous. But also it helps corrupt politicians like, like uh, Joe Biden. It helps people like Nancy Pelosi it helps people like John Kerry. It helped people like Ted, the late Ted Kennedy. It helps them and it helps people like Andrew Cuomo, who basically, in a sense, can still claim to be Catholic without being devoutly practicing and still exploit Catholicism to their means. But at the same time, it has, if you look behind the seamless garment, you will see a trail of blood a trail of dead, aborted body parts of babies. And it doesn't solve the issue. It basically just buries, pushes abortion further away from the stage where it can cont const you know, consistently be practiced and be lost in the shuffle, bring out climate change, bring out uh, racism, bring out all these issues 
but don't focus on abortion. Abortion is a constitutional right. You can disagree with abortion, but you cannot force your beliefs on anyone else. But meanwhile, you have to pay for it in your taxes because it's a human right. You see? You see how right right there now we, we're going to be guilty and we're going to be silenced not to speak out against it. But guess what? We don't do anything about it. We're going to have to answer for it on the day of judgment. And what do they care? Well, that's your problem on the day of judgment. That's between you and God. You see what I'm saying? He hijacked, he, you know, he hijacks that too. It's, it's just absolutely wrong. And the fact that someone as perverted as this man, a strange fellow who never showed any interest in religion and Sunday decided to become a priest. <coughs> that is a strange case there. I sure liked someone to do a biography research on this man. But the fact that it's him that pushed it and we know his background, we know some unusual cases about him, it makes sense that someone will cook up such a malaki <clears throat> to... To, to manipulate the masses with. Anyway, I'm glad I did this episode. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more uh, cases um, about the uh, the other stuff, but I think what, I think it's enough what we uh, what we found out here. <laughs> it's ama it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing how 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 ideas have consequences. It's true what they say, and dangerous people definitely um have had positions of power anyway so i hope this was helpful uh to help you see the you know you trace back all these ideas and you know you see how they affect us today all right so i'm going to end it here and uh hopefully um i'll get back with another one so god bless and stay safe